This week is Angels Part 2. I did a sort of introduction last week about what angels uh, were, what they looked like, uh, various things like that. Uh, I was thinking about this week doing a kind of question and answer thing, like a a myths buster type thing. Uh, I think there's probably a more delicate way of doing that. So uh, this week it's the ministry of angels and I thought the best way to explain anything that we might not be clear about on angels uh, is to talk about what they do, uh, how, what they do for us today, uh, why they're doing those things, uh, how they minister to a variety of God's people. And we're going to see the true purpose of angels today in light of the Bible. So let's kick off with this um, one particular verse that kind of everything will, will hang on. And this is... Um, before the verse, I'll tell you what's, uh, what points we're looking at. Uh, messengers, uh, needs, protection and presiding and praising. And these are the kind of things that make up the ministry of angels. And we're just going to look into them uh, a bit deeper. And now let's look at the verse. Hebrews 1.14 Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The quick version of this sermon is yes. That's the quick version. But we need to know more than that. God's angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Before we get into this fully, let's understand who are those who inherit salvation and what salvation is very briefly. We've done this before. We've talked about what salvation is, what makes up salvation. And we just need to go over it again because it's quite an important part of this text. And in our translation, we have uh, this term right here which is uh, will inherit. And it's very interesting that in this translation it's stated as a future tense, uh, as in it will happen. And actually, uh, in the original, in the, in the Greek, it's actually an active present, it's called in the Greek. An active present. So probably the best way to look at that is to say those who are inheriting salvation, ongoing all the time. This is an ongoing process. And amongst us and around us, people are inheriting salvation. We are inheriting salvation. Uh, What does salvation look like? If we're inheriting it, what are we inheriting? What is this verse trying to say? It is justification. We learned about this before. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. It's sanctification. It is the transformation from the human to the divine nature. Being made holy, this is a process we undergo throughout our lifetime. We're going through it today in this very moment that we sit in this room We are undergoing a process of sanctification. We're looking to be obedient in the Spirit, put off the works of the flesh and take on the fruit of the Spirit. We're being saved, and this time, from sin's power. It is glorification. Freedom from sin's presence. When we have run the race and fought the good fight, we will enter into the presence of the Lord forever. We will be glorified. In his presence, our soul rests that sin and its devastation will cease. All those things will stop. There will be no evil in his presence. Why do we need to know about salvation in a sermon about angels? Because that's what underlines the core mission of God's angels. They are ministering spirits sent forth for the purpose of those who will have accepted salvation and are in salvation and in turn will receive God's full inheritance. And this is important because what, uh, because what opens our eyes is, to, is the oncoming ministry that is around us every day. 
We may not necessarily see the ministering of angels. We may not see what they are doing, but they are working for God's will, God's mission. And so now we have, we know that angels have been sent to minister to God's people. And what does that ministry actually involve? Well, the first one I touched on last week with messengers, and we're just going to get a little bit deeper into this. What does it mean? Um, and what, what, in a ministry context, are angels doing as messengers? And I spoke last week briefly about that. It's basically to deliver God's message to us. There are many, many examples of this in the Bible, but we see from Acts, uh, Acts 8, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. God sent an angel to Philip to go preach to an uh, Ethiopian eunuch who needed to know how to be saved. The angel sent him. And what I didn't say last week about messengers of God is that God sends messengers to his own children. It's not apparent in the Bible, actually, that angels spoke to lost people, to people who weren't believers in him. It's not very clear that that really happened most of the time, not all the time. Angels delivered messages to people who are um, believers. And wouldn't a Christian life be far easier if angels were to deliver the message of the gospel to the lost. You could sit back today in church and you could go home and sit back and not say a word to anyone because angels would be doing all the work for us. Wouldn't that be great? Probably not. Probably quite boring, in fact. So angels don't do that. Angels don't share the gospel as such with people, with lost people, uh, but certainly give messages uh, to God's people. And instead, he gives us both the privilege and responsibility of going and taking that message to those who are lost. And again, that is made clear in Hebrews 1, verse 14. Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who is inheriting salvation? We are inheriting salvation. Angels are serving to minister to those who are saved, who, have, who believe and given their life to Jesus who in turn are responsible to share the gospel. And this is really interesting. The reason why that is because angels have never been lost. There's a life experience that goes on here which we kind of overlook. Uh, apart from the angel that fell, apart from the angel that was sent uh, to, to uh, Satan that, was, that fell to earth, sent to earth, no angels really understand what it means to be lost and therefore to be saved. They are created in heaven to do work of God. They have no real understanding of that concept. But we said last week there was a verse that said they long to know these things. They want to know, but they don't, they don't really feel, they don't really know that sense of why, they would, why we would need salvation in that sense. So God gives them a mission and says, you need to tell them my word because they're the ones that are going to tell everyone about salvation. You can't do that because you can't speak from experience. Angels can't speak from that same experience of being lost and then being saved. And then from that, we get needs. Angels minister to the needs of God's people. We begin to see that angels provide for our need. We have a need identified by God to be ministered to and served by angels. And you might think, well, 
we have the Holy Spirit who serves our needs. So where do angels come in? Where do angels serve in that? Well, the Holy Spirit ministers to us spiritually, lives within us, and ministers to our spirit. The angels have the ability to minister to us physically. If you read any of the instances, many instances in the Bible of angels coming to do something on earth, to talk to people, to touch someone's, a certain person's hip, you will know that that's a physical thing that they are doing. There is physical examples uh, or examples of angels doing physical things. And when you think about angels in the context of messengers, they're providing a physical ministering in bringing a message. 1 Kings 19 verse 5 says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. This is Elijah. Elijah was physically exhausted, emotionally drained, spiritually depleted, and just sitting under a tree wanting to die. God sent an angel and Elijah went to sleep. The angel came and poked Elijah in the ribs and said, get up and eat. And the Bible, this verse goes on to say that by his head when he woke up was some bread baked over hot coals. You ever had bread from the bakery? Just cooked, just been baked. Imagine that, but a hundred times better than that. Because it's not just any bread baked over hot coals. Remember, an angel was providing for Elijah's physical need. This is the bread of heaven. Psalm 78, uh, verse, that was there. Psalm 78, verse 24 to 25 says, He rained down manna for the people. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. Uh, has anyone been to a Welsh rugby game? You can come in, no problem. Welsh rugby game at the start. Do you know they sing a song? I'm not going to sing it. Do you know what the song's called? Bread of Heaven. I watched someone sing it yesterday. It's an amazing song. Bread of Heaven, Bread of Heaven, Feed Me Till I Want No More. Very biblical song to sing at a rugby match. It's amazing, isn't it? Maybe part of this revival that went on in, in, in Wales, but uh, amazing song with such passion as well. Whenever you're there, or whenever you hear it on TV, you can just get this sense of passion uh, that's going on amongst the crowd, just singing with all their hearts. It's amazing to watch. You should really look it up on YouTube. It's quite a, a thing to watch. So there's something about ministry of angels, uh, how they're able to minister even in terms of food and waking somebody up and helping them. And so angels provide for our needs at times. And that need also extends to protection, bread of heaven. In, in the angels serving Elijah to give him his bread, to give him something to eat, waking him up so he wouldn't die in his sleep, Angels are providing a protection. With this example of Elijah, we can see that angels gave him that protection. In this case, it was protection from exhaustion, malnutrition, that may have well resulted in death. But one of the most clear examples of protection provided by the ministry of angels is in Exodus 23, 
verse 20. It says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. (laughs) This sermon is a test of your concentration, church. It's all on purpose, that. All that was happening to make sure that you were listening. I'm going to test you later. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. When we talk about protection, we might ask from this example, is there such a thing as a guardian angel? Is there such a thing that exists? Uh, This came to mind when I was thinking about this. I didn't mention it last week, strangely, because I, I used to watch it a lot when I was younger. Uh, and you might remember the TV series Highway to Heaven, uh, Michael Landon, and he used to play an angel. Uh, the concept of that angel was incorrect uh, in that he died as a person, as a human being, and came back as an angel. Uh, but there are little bits in that if you watch through that series, which you can on a certain streaming channel, uh, and you can get an idea, actually, some of it, very small bits, very small bits, are very interesting. Certain challenges within that he was not able to do. He wasn't able to help people when he was asked to help people because God told him not to. Very small parts. I'm not using it as a biblical basis. Don't use that to define angels. It's not. But that came to mind. Guardian angels, he was sent in that storyline to protect people in some form or another. He was sent to do a job, sent to do a work. But nowhere in the Bible does it teach that there is one guardian angel assigned to every person. You won't find it. You won't find the phrase guardian angel in the Bible. The only time we can even come close to this concept of a single angel is when the praying believers in Acts 12 could not believe that Peter was knocking at the gate since he was supposed to be in prison. Acts 12, 13-15 says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. The only basis by which you might consider a single guardian angel is because it is not a plural of angel. But I don't believe this is to show us that actually there's a single angel looking over us or protecting us when God deems it right. I think it's more likely in this situation is that God had commissioned an angel to use Peter's voice and perhaps awaken even more urgent prayer for him. So this angel had a purpose rather than him being specifically assigned to Peter for his whole life. But when it comes to properly contextualising the question of whether there are multiple guardian angels, we find a much more helpful answer in Matthew 18, verse 10. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Obviously, right here, there is a plurality of angel angels. Multiple angels. He doesn't talk about their angels being with them on earth. Only God is omnipresent. Angels aren't. Satan, who is fallen, who's a fallen angel, is not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. Angels in the Bible can't be in heaven and on earth at the same time. Genesis 28, 
verse 12, says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There'd be no reason in this case to have this ladder to go up and down on if in fact angels were omnipresent and everywhere. In fact, they had roles and tasks to do. They had jobs to do, missions to carry out for God and to continue to do that today. So they go up and they come down. Angels have to shuttle back and forth. So the idea of one guardian angel with you, with us all of our lives, is not really taught in Scripture. It's not really shown in Scripture at all that we have one guardian angel, much as we'd like to. And all throughout God's word, you'll find many, many examples of how angels have protected God's people from harm. It was in the Bible, according to Daniel chapter 6, an angel was the one who kept those lions' mouths shut when Daniel was in the lion's den. So God sends his angels to guard you, to keep you from hurting yourself at times, and so they protect us. Multiple angels. But this, of course, is not to say that you can't die. We can still die. There is... No angel's work that would stop us or prevent us from dying. Uh, that is not really the role of what angels are doing. Angels do not uh, only protect us to the point uh, of death. Maybe there are times when angels do come and they do bring, they do do something to stop you from dying. Maybe there's a moment, maybe there's a revelation to you and God sends an angel to bring a message. Maybe that happens. But it's not for them to stop you ultimately from dying. We know that on this earth our bodies will decay and we die. That's how it works in a broken world. We have to understand it's a sovereignty of God and sometimes angels are there to protect and sometimes they're not. This is accepting the sovereignty of God. As hard as that is sometimes to accept the will of God, the sovereignty of God, if it's not in his will to do so, he won't do it. That's called obedience. We don't always get our way because his ways are higher than our ways. And that's hard for people, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, that's sometimes hard when events in your life happen. Try and understand, I, I know it's in your will, but why? Why did that happen? Why did that not happen? But if we understand the Christian life, it's wonderful to be protected supernaturally and to be delivered. But for a Christian, it's even better sometimes when we, when we can go on and be with Jesus. That might be the will of God. That is the great thing about being a Christian. We don't die. Isn't that amazing? Considering that we are in these bodies, inhabiting these decaying bodies, when we die, we don't die. We go off to heaven and join the Father in heaven and we go on, we join the angels to worship with him. But when we do die, angels do preside at our death. This is when we look at angels presiding, their ministry is presiding over people who die, God's people who die. And according to what the Lord Jesus said in Luke 16, 22, angels are present at the time we die and they're the ones who carry our souls and our spirit into heaven. Luke 16, 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man 
also died and was buried. Angels are present when a Christian dies, and angels are the ones who escort us into heaven itself, our souls, our spirits. Don't get this confused with angels on their own, angels of, that we think about detached from Christianity. I'm talking about angels of God. I'm talking about angels that do specific work in this context as a Christian. What we see here is that the angels carry our soul and our spirit to heaven. So whilst it's hard to understand God's sovereign will in why protection of death isn't necessarily provided at times, God's will is for angels to carry out, carry our soul and spirit into heaven when we pass. But this from a perspective of eternity is fantastic news. If our minds are set on eternity and not on these bodies and not on the things that will decay, that will not uh, go as long or last as long as the treasures of heaven, And death is, becomes an event, certainly, but it's not the end. It is the release into the kingdom of heaven. It is the final sanctification into glorification to worship God. Glorification, salvation is complete. We will see him in heaven and be with him and be worshipping him. No more pain, no more tears, just being in the presence of the glory of God. And this is our last point today, praising this is the most important ministry of the angels and what they do. We come back to this final point I talked about last week and expand on this. It's about praising God. It's all about worshipping God. Everything they do is to serve him, not through their will, but through God's will. And we saw this verse last week. Uh, Psalm 148, verse 2. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Heavenly host is this word to describe angelic armies. This picture of angelic armies. The vision of angels living and breathing to praise God. In Revelation chapter 4, we find another characteristic of angelic worship. Each of the four living creatures and six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Here we see angels around about God's throne never stopping. Their worship is with a sense of awe and wonder. And it's also unceasing. They never stop worshipping God day and night before his throne, chanting, holy, holy, holy. Have you tried to worship God for more than two hours? It is the most difficult thing to do. We're in this place at the moment where we're always battling against the flesh. We're always fighting for space in our heads from distractions. It's not a condemnation that you don't do that. It's not a condemnation that I don't do that. But our desire to want to do that, God recognises that. God sees that. They were not looking for a more convenient method. They didn't grow weary in their worship. It was not a burden. It was their eternal delight to stand before God and they love and bow before him in worship and adoration. Revelation 4 verse 10 says, Worship him who lives forever and ever. Revelation 5 verse 12, they chant, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength 
and honour and glory and praise. What we see is the angels worship God in heaven as that everything is directed to God. God is the centre of it all, completely focused upon him. Nothing else. These angels were not interested in seeing what the angel next to them was wearing. They're not interested in just seeing what the other angel next to them was doing. They didn't come before the throne of God to chat about the imperfections of some other angel. They were not there to glory in how well they sang or praised God. They were not there to show off their talents. If you can't sing, it doesn't matter. If you can't sing in, in that what we see on X Factor and those shows and those TV shows, if you can't sing as well as the greatest pop singer, if there's such a thing, the greatest singer in the world, it doesn't matter. My heart wants to worship God, then that's what God accepts. He's not looking for perfect pitch. He's looking for a heart that wants to worship Him. Their focus was entirely on God. Their focus was not on other worshippers, but on God. Their focus was not on other angels, but God. Could you imagine chanting, holy, 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 for just one 24-hour period? Could you possibly do that? That scares me. I mean, singing that again and again and again. There's always this sense in, in, in songs... Uh, if you hear a song over and over again, if it gets played over and over again, certainly if there's like a song that's hit number one, it stays there for weeks and weeks. Uh, there's this sort of phenomena that happens. And what happens is you hear the song the first time, the first couple of times, and you love the song. You might like this number one song that's in the chart. And then you hear it a few more times, and then you get tired of it. And then you know what happens again? It comes around again, and then you love it again. And you keep, you keep singing that song again and again, and then you get tired of it again. Who got tired of Brian Adams' song, 16 Weeks at Number One? Or the Robin Hood song, I can't remember what the name of it is now. Everything I do. Oh, 16 weeks of that song. But you know what? It came round again. You know, there was times that song came back on, and I'm thinking, actually, I can like this again. I can enjoy this again. But my goodness, when that stopped, I sort of missed it. But here we have this holy, 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 angels singing, never tiring. We will never tire when we go to meet God in heaven. We'll never tire in the same way we tire now on earth. We won't get tired. It's not the same thing. Don't ever imagine that our bodies just get, just get taken up as we are. We'll become a new creation, a new thing, a new body given a new body in heaven. None of this stuff to pull us away, to distract us. There won't be uh, slopes and slides. I like singing Holy Holy today. don't like singing it today. Just constant worshipping and praising him. But we're so thrilled to see him, to be there. That's exactly what the angels are doing in heaven. They're not bored in God's presence. They're not there's not a thought of being bored. They do not have meetings of angels to get together to try and spice up the worship service because it's boring to them. There is no thought of that whatsoever. 
There's no worship team meetings. What different words could we use today, guys? What different song can we sing? Constant worship because of the awe they have for God. Instead, we end this message on this simple premise. The ministry of angels, understood correctly, is to minister to those who are God's people, to be messengers of God, to provide for our physical needs and protection as God ordains it in his sovereignty, to preside over death of God's people, carrying their spirit and soul to the heavenlies. Above all, to praise God to the highest. What's our mission? What's this verse that says they're ministering to the people that are sharing salvation with others? What's our mission in this? Why are angels doing that? Our mission is to serve God in sharing the gospel with those who do not know him. To give another reason for the angels to be joyful. Luke 15 verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Don't let these angels rest. That is our mission. And even though they are worshipping God and have the best reason to be joyful in worshipping God, the only real reason that matters is that it's God. But our mission is to add to that joy by sharing the gospel with lost, lost people in the hope that they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ to repent and live a new life for the kingdom of heaven. That is our mission. Angels can't do it. Angels can't share the gospel. But they will give us messages. They will do things that God has ordained them to do. We trust in God because we want to see this. We want to see this in Welling. I want to see one sinner repent. That should blow your mind. If angels' minds are blown, if that's such a thing, we, we should just be falling on, the, on our face, seeing one person repent. If the legions and armies of angels are rejoicing because one person out of millions and millions repented, what, are we, what should we be doing? We're rejoicing with them, right? Thank you, Lord. Another sinner saved. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, say a blessing together. Lord, we want to thank you that you have a plan at play, that it is working in this world. Uh, Lord, that you have legions of angels who are doing your work here. Uh, but Lord, let's be under no uh, misconception. You are God who is to be worshipped. You are God. You are all-powerful. And Lord, we thank you that you have created these beings to do the ministry that they are set to do. But Lord, will you provoke us? Will you challenge us in sharing the message that we receive, the hope that we have? Be bold when we do hear a message specifically from God for someone to build up and edify your church so that it is a great example of glory to you. Not because we're good at anything, but because you are great. Lord, help us to even scratch the surface of singing, of being in that place of just wanting to sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Lord, we just thank you today 
that we can come and be present uh, in your throne room, approach the King who is all-powerful. I say, Lord, will you do your will with my life? Lord, help us to understand the plan you have for this place, for Welling, for each of our lives as we go about and around towns and places and wherever we're going, Lord, will you prompt us to share your gospel in whatever way that shows itself to be. Lord, we just want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you that he died and rose again. Thank you that he is the living king. We thank you, Lord, that we have eternity to spend with you. We thank you for all these things. Amen.